on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. And I'm like, this is my idea. This is it. So I remember I was just at my dog park over here walking my dog and I called a friend of mine who's a business coach, an older gentleman who's been a business coach for decades, seen it all, and a, a very important friend and mentor of mine. And I told him the whole idea and he just got it and said, yes, this is a beautiful idea. I love it. But I don't think you're the guy to do this, Dan. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I interview purpose-driven founders and leaders to educate, inspire, and empower your success in leaving an impact on the world. The goal here is for the rest of us to ask the world's biggest questions, build startups to solve them, and live fulfilling lives in the process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Today's guest has taken not one, not two, but four companies to six, seven, and eight figures over the last decade. From starting a digital video agency in his mom's basement to selling funky socks, this entrepreneur has consistently seen the heights of success and the lows of trying to keep the lights on in the business. Even though his digital agency had reached seven figures working with brands such as Coca-Cola, Microsoft, GM, and GE, he was tired of chasing the next contract in order to get paid. So deciding to scratch his own itch and seeing an industry that could be done better, he set his sights on creating a stylish, simple merino wool apparel that can be worn for weeks or even months without ever needing to be washed. His best friends and him decided to trade in their Friday nights to start grinding away on the idea and launch a crowdfunding campaign, raising 380000 in its first two months. After just three years in business, they are now doing $4 million in revenue, selling to over 100 countries around the world. This lifelong entrepreneur and his industry-leading company has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, US Today, Travel and Leisure, and Lonely Planet. Additionally, he has shared his wisdom with hundreds of entrepreneurs as mentor director of the Entrepreneur Organization's Canadian chapters. I'm honored to welcome the co-founder of Unbound Marino, three-time founder, and an ideas guy who thought a pickle business might be a good idea, Dan Dembski. Wow, that was great. That's cool. I didn't I didn't provide that for you. You just figured it out, the the story, and I and it was cool to hear. I'm like, I felt like with that summary, I'm like, I'm excited to hear me. <laughs> you yeah. made me sound good. Yeah, well, it, it, I guess have, I focus so much on the lows and the challenges at times that it's like sitting back and like, hey, you know what? That was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. You definitely had quite an amazing journey. And before we get to Unbound Marino, I kind of like to talk about some of your older businesses, which the first one being uh, Biz Media, which you started in your mom's basement. Could you tell me a little bit about you know getting that first real business off the ground? Yeah, you know, I never... In- tended to start a business. I wasn't working in some corporate job and I felt like I'm going to do my own thing. Like really, this is how my career started. I was in school. I was studying communications, radio broadcasting, and I actually started uh, interning at a talk radio station in the city and I was producing on the weekends. And my best friend and business partner from that company, he was in film school and he just wanted to do anything with the camera. So we would go and just come up with ideas for like documentaries and we'd write scripts and we ended up getting a camera and started doing some freelance work just to, you know, we, we spent a lot of money on this camera and we'd like to, to make it make money. But also <laughs> we just wanted to get some more gear. Like we wanted to get a little camera top light and we wanted to get a, a microphone and we, we just really, really were passionate about it. It wasn't like we're like, okay, we're going to create a business doing video production or anything like that. It was just like, hey, if someone was willing to pay us 200 bucks to show up and shoot, do a light little edit. And if you broke it down to how much we were working by the hour, we were getting paid very little, but we loved doing it. We were very, very passionate about that. So I think that passion made us output good quality for the price that we were charging. So naturally, there was a lot of people coming back saying these are these are my video guys if i need them this is a good deal word of mouth started and and that's how the business started like it was it was we we just wanted to do something on the side of school i had no plans of getting into the video business i thought i was gonna get into radio and tons of small businesses we were we were filling our days like we could we didn't have enough hours in the day to do all the work that we started getting and then at that point sort of started trading up the chain like one of our one of our customers, clients, 
he ran an audio visual company, you know, that would do like weddings and corporate events and we'd do stuff for him. And he, he had bigger, the clients he had were like big corporate clients. And he said to us, you know, you guys are so good and so talented and so reliable. Why don't I get you to work with some of our clients and you'll get way more money. You know what? You could, you could give me a finder's fee for anyone that I find for you. It's like, but even if you give me that, let's say it's 10%, you know, you can charge a whole lot more. And we're like, yeah, no brainer. And that's how we got our first corporate client. It was GE. And, you know, it was, it wasn't a very high paying job. I think it was $3,800, but the, the amount of work that it would took to do, to earn that 3,800 was so easy that we actually sat on the project for an extra week or two just to make it look like it was harder that we felt like we weren't, it wasn't justified to take that much money, but they were so happy to pay it because it was pennies to GE. But that's when we realized, holy, we've been chasing the wrong customer the whole time. We got to find corporate clients. Mm -hmm. So that was when the business started. We just switched our focus and I became very, very focused on sales. I'm like, I'm going to get into boardrooms. We're going to do pitches. We're going to get more clients like this, less like the small guy. And then we just started growing rapidly at that point. In our first year, we did $60,000 in revenue. And we thought that was insane. We're like, wow, I can't believe we got $60,000. But in our second year, when we started the corporate, we did (laughs) 600,000. And then the year after that, we did 1.2 million. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, we did not expect this to happen at all. And we were from my mom's basement to a small studio downtown to a big office and having employees and, and, and a big reputation in the city. And it was just growing, but being young and dumb, that comes with a lot of challenges because we just thought we could do no wrong because we were growing so fast, but you could definitely do wrong, especially in your early twenties. And I learned the lessons the hard way, but once you have the staff, I think we were, you know, at into that fourth year, we had 18 employees and it became a whole different beast. It wasn't like the fun, exciting, like rapid growth. It was like, we have mouths to feed. We have payroll, we have responsibilities, but we were still young and dumb. So there's a lot of lessons to learn in there. So when I tell the story about the rides, it's, it's exciting, but the crash was brutal. It was brutal. And I don't I don't regret any of it because in those lessons, that's where you really learn. And you know, if you can weather the, some of the storms we weathered, that's where you really, really get perspective on how to do things the right way. Now I'm still young and I'm still learning, but man, we have some lessons. The failures are, are as important as the, as the triumphs in, in, in your growth and in the story itself. So. Uh, I yeah. did that, and but once after you know after that fourth year, it wasn't as fun anymore. And I I stayed in it for years because that was my job. That's what I did for a living. But I was looking for years of ways to get out of it to do something different, with a different business model. I was done with that business, but stayed yeah, you, in it for years. You had a, a couple different other things going on. You became partner in a brand called D Brand, and then also we're uh, looking to start this Hitsu Socks. What were some of the major lessons that you learned? Well, Deepbrand, I'm not the founder, but I was there for the beginning. You know, we helped get the business started with doing some video work. And I was, you know, a mentor to him for what feels like a mere few hours or days because he is so brilliant of an entrepreneur that he far eclipsed me very fast. But Mm -hmm. after his, you know, first year of growth, he came to me and we ironed out a deal where I would be a partner in the business under the condition that we can grow the revenue to a certain point, which we did. So I became a partner in the company, but it was growing really rapidly and I was still running my business. I was dedicating about a day a week to this business. And if I was going to be really, you know, a part of that operation at, at the rate it was growing, I would need to be all in, but it was not my business. It was his. So I sort of got pushed out kicked out of the company, but bought out. He remains one of my close friends. And I would say one of my most cherished mentors now, which is funny because it started, I was mentoring him, but I told you that lasted a couple hours because he is a really, that that business has absolutely skyrocketed. But it was really an interesting experience for me because I got to be a part of an important growth period of an e-commerce brand when I really had my eyes set on starting my own e-commerce business. That was the, the change I wanted in my life. I was doing, I had a service business and 
your company is only as successful as your last deal in the service business. So I was just tired, you know, it, it, it felt like I was kind of a prisoner to the company. Like if I, if I wasn't in the boardroom pitching minimum five to seven times a week, it felt like that would, that would create cash flow issues six to nine months down the road. I had to always be pitching. Now I'm doing the same pitch all the time. I felt like a dancing monkey. Like I'd go into this boardroom, do my song and dance, same thing. I uh, the same little jokes at the same time, but it's not fun. It's not like stand-up comedy where you're like you're making people laugh. You're just trying to convince people to buy off you. I now had the lens into this rapidly growing e-commerce business. And on the side of that, I fell into creating a sock company because my friend, again, in the same way I was helping Dbrand, I was helping another friend who wanted to start a funky sock company. And the reason he wanted to start the funky sock company was because socks were becoming really popular, at least here in Toronto, where we are, and in a lot of other cities, you know, people were wearing less boring socks and going like really eccentric and crazy. So it became this big trend. The lesson I learned there is if something becomes popular, that's not the time to start a company. It's already too late because everyone and their uncle already has a sock company. But we had a really good spin on it. And even though we never got that business really off the ground, I learned valuable lessons, but I'm actually still proud of what we created because it was very creative and it was fun. I got a taste for creating my own e-commerce brand from scratch, but it was going not anywhere very quickly. I couldn't take a salary from that company, so I still had to be working in biz media. I was now at a D-brand. And I'll tell you something, I was tired as hell because you know, you put your energy into D-brand, into biz media, starting a new company, you're spread so thin. Even with D-brand out of the picture, I'm trying to do a startup, a new company, and run an established company. Um, and I wasn't doing either of them very well. I wasn't looking after myself in the process. You know, my health was deteriorating. I was gaining weight. Like everything was kind of a, a mess. And uh, the idea for Unbound came out of a need. It's when I discovered Marina Wool for myself. It was a way of traveling lighter. I saw that all the brands in the market weren't selling a product that I wanted. Like it, everything was looked like activewear or outdoorswear. Like if I were going on a canoe trip, this would be like the right kind of clothing. You know, if I were going fishing, if I were going for a bike ride or running or something, I could get the active wear kind of the reflective logo. But having a simple t-shirt similar to what I'm wearing now that fits nice, you know, I can dress it up a little bit, put on a nice pair of pants and a watch and I can go to a cocktail bar and feel like they, I couldn't find it. So I had this aha moment. I'm like, cause I, you know, the way that Dbrand started, other companies that my friends have started e-commerce brands, they were looking for something that didn't exist. You know, they felt like all the other companies doing this, they do it terribly, or I can do it better, or there's something wrong. I can do this differently. I can do this better. And they went and they did it. And finding that gap in the market was what allowed them to be successful. All of a sudden, I was trying to get merino wool clothing that I could travel with, but I needed it to be more versatile. I needed it to be able to be something I can wear when I do go on that hike, on that trip that I'm going to be on. But at night, I want to be able to wear one of the t-shirts out for a cocktail or for a nice dinner on a nice patio or something, right? And I'm like, this is my idea. This is it. So I remember I was just at my dog park over here walking my dog. And I called a friend of mine who's a business coach, an older gentleman who's been a business coach for decades, seen it all, and a, a very important friend and mentor of mine. And I told him the whole idea. And he just got it and said, yes, this is a beautiful idea. I love it. But I don't think you're the guy to do this, Dan. And then it just like felt like my heart ripping out of my chest. And I'm like, what? And he set up a point which really was, in a way, good advice. And he said, between Dbrand, which is now not in the picture, and Hitsu Socks and Biz Media, you're spread so thin. And now you're so lucky that you don't have to focus on Dbrand. You have these two companies, but that's too much for you even. Like you're doing none of it well. How are you gonna add a third thing expected? Like, like you can't do all of these things and do any of them well. You're gonna do them all poorly, right? He made a good point. It's true. But I remember going to sleep that night and I was laying on my pillow. Uh, I had a night like this last night because of noise in the hall. But 
I was laying there with my eyes wide open. And all I could think about was, man, but this is the idea. This is what I've been waiting for, you know? But I don't have time. I don't have energy. I didn't have any money to do this. Even though our business was going, Biz Media like, was going great, it's, it's like I was focusing so much less energy on it that sales were tight, cash was tight. I took a, my salary was even lower. And like, I just don't have anything in me to make this happen except the, the belief deep down inside that I have to and I can and I should. And that belief is a powerful thing. It's like, it's like you can convince yourself that you shouldn't do it or you convince yourself that you should. And I was just looking for a reason to, to think that this is a good idea and that I should do it. And because I was wired up at night just thinking about it, you know, we came to the, the conclusion that doing a crowdfunding campaign, and I think someone must have told me, like, I don't remember exactly how that idea clicked, but it solved every problem that I had. Like everything, it's like, it's like, but you don't have money. Well, crowdfunding can get you pre-orders. So without giving any of your company away, right? But you don't have time. Well, I don't need, I don't need to do this urgently. I can spend as much time as I want doing this and I can release the crowdfunding campaign when it's ready. But you don't know how to make clothing. It's like, well, you're going to figure it all out doing the crowdfunding campaign. Like everything that like, ultimately, at the end of the production of that crowdfunding campaign, you're going to be putting something up online and saying, this is what I have. Here's the name of the company. Here's the product. Here's the prototypes. Here's the brand. Here's the pitch. Here's the video. You get it all out there. And then the market decides if it's a good business or not. And I thought, if the market tells me that they don't want this, because I couldn't get the $30,000 we were pledging for to be funded. If, they, if I couldn't get that, I'd be okay. Because at least I scratched the itch. I did my best. And you know what the worst case scenario is? The worst case scenario is it doesn't work. And I'll have made the prototypes of the product I wanted to exist anyway. <laughs> and I'll have it. Right. So I'll do something fun which is create this crowdfunding campaign. I was doing it with my co-founders who are my two best friends. We'll have a blast doing it. We'll drink whiskey the whole time. We'll have, a, we'll meet up once. We ended up meeting up once a week to do it on Friday nights. There was really no excuse not to do this. And if it doesn't work, we'll have made all this great clothing because we're not going to release it unless we think it's great. And then I'll have a bunch of amazing t-shirts and, and I'll have tried something and I'll learn from there. But if it didn't work, I also was thinking I was going to like retire as an entrepreneur, at least temporarily, and get a job somewhere, which I've never done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, but I, man, we wanted it to work so bad. I needed this thing to work. So we put our all into it. I studied everything there was about crowdfunding that I could find. Everyone I know that did a campaign, I asked them for everything. I got feedback on everything along the way. We left no stone unturned. And we put it out there, and what we found was product market fit. It, we tried to sell $30,000 in pre-orders. We sold $380,000. We plump, pumped that into inventory and have a budget to go and like do some trips overseas to meet our suppliers, get close with them, oversee production ourselves, even though we have no idea what we're looking for. Learn and learn and figure it out. And we put our all into it, and... It's that that was in this that was four years ago. That was in the summer of 2016. We launched our store in December of 2016, and now we're selling, as I said in the intro, in over a hundred countries, and it's growing. And we're having the time of our lives because we corrected in all the business model flaws that I've learned over the years. And but most importantly, we believe in this product. We're selling something that's so authentically us, like. If I, like I said, if this whole thing failed, I wouldn't even be upset because I'll have made the product I wanted. That yeah, would have lasted me a little bit of time, you know? Maybe I could have like made more samples in the future, but it was for me. It, it was for, I, I'm so authentically, it, truly the target demo of this brand that it makes everything not just easy to, in terms of figuring out what the marketing is going to be and everything and what the new product should be, but also it's fun. Like I, I, I'm proud of it. I am not, when I see a friend of mine buy my stuff, it's like I feel proud to take their money because I'm proud of what they're getting in return. So it took me a lot. I mean, this is a huge journey to get to a place where I love, I fully love what I'm doing. I did it at the beginning, but I'm here again and we're having the time of our lives. Yeah, you uh, liken 
the process of bringing Unbound Merino, you know, with the crowdfunding campaign, kind of like creating a business plan. For those yes. that are unaware of crowdfunding, can you kind of share how you approached it? For those unaware of crowdfunding, basically, I call it the millennial infomercial <laughs> because it feels a lot like an infomercial. Because the center of it is the video, and the video is your pitch, right? It's like you have this water. This water bottle is the best water bottle because it keeps your water cold or whatever. You know, you come right, and it's like feels a little infomercially because you're just beating the viewer over the head with the benefits. That's the what I've noticed is a trend with the successful campaigns. And then underneath, you can have all these perks and packages. It's like buy one T-shirt for this price, you get the early bird price, and you can get two or you get a bundle kit and there's all these the benefit aside from the product benefits to the customer of crowdfunding is they'll get like lots of great deals but they're pre-ordering a product that isn't yet in production so let's say you're buying something you can say it's shipping in a year or it's shipping in six months so that's the trade-off you're pre-ordering well in advance funding an idea by backing a product a product or, or something or a service if they have that early in its conception and it's all based on the pitch. So the benefit to creating a campaign is if you don't have any money, this is the way to... I mean, I think we put less than $2,000 of our own money up until the point of launching the crowdfunding campaign. Mm. That's unheard of in business. Like, like if we were to create a, a clothing brand on our own, we would need... We actually need more than 30000 Realistically, you need about... We would, at bare minimum... The way we wanted to launch it, which is not in a big way, 70, 75,000. Now, how do you get $75,000 if you don't have the money, if you don't come from, if you're not just sitting on it? You could save, you know, you could have saved over time, you know, over years, or if you're a super high paid over less time, you know, or you come from money, or you find an investor, you know, so, but not everyone has that. And seeing how my business, other businesses going, I wasn't in any position to go ask for someone to just give me a bunch of money. And also, I didn't know if this thing was going to work. So instead of taking the risk of plugging all this money that I don't have into this new idea and hoping it works, crossing my fingers, you just do it in the crowdfunding platform. You sell it all way in advance of having to even buy your inventory. And then you're using pre-order money to fund the business. So we had $380,000 of all went into inventory setting up a small we had a, a storage locker as our warehouse we stayed super <laughs> lean budgeting for trips to oversee our production and to be intimate with that and to get close to our suppliers and manufacturers it's absolutely one of the most exciting things that exists today for someone who wants to start a business creating what a crowdfunding campaign is just what a way in what are some of the things that you know successful campaigners won't tell you about crowdfunding that you know helped you be successful the here's the beauty I don't, you don't have to be told anything it's all mm -hmm. out there this do you want me to tell you the real secret the secret is this go on to kickstarter and indiegogo those are the two i think they're the only two i know and look at the most funded campaigns that ever existed and then just look at the pages watch the videos that's it that's all you need to know these are the things that worked Right. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that you need to figure out. Like for us, we needed to figure out how to make really good quality clothing. Right. When we had no idea how to make clothing at the start, but we figured it out because when we had the will to do it. But aside from that, just in terms of like creating the campaign, 95% of what you need to know is already out. It's out there just by looking at the campaigns. Then, of course, go and, and look at, look at, uh, all the articles that exist, you know, I remember Tim Ferriss had a, a really good crowdfunding campaign, which maybe is dated now, but probably not. I ended up putting up a post on Reddit, which somehow got deleted. I, mean, I actually have my calendar tomorrow to put it back up on Reddit um, about everything we did in our crowdfunding campaign that was unique. But really, it just you just have to lean on the backs of all of the successful campaigns that have already existed and just... Frankenstein together your campaign. Watch the video. See, I like the intro from this video. I like the voiceover style. I like the production timeline on this campaign and like literally copy everything. That's what we did. My friend had a campaign for a uh, productivity planner, which was successful. 
And I copied like three things from that campaign. I copied from this campaign, that campaign, this one. Just like little elements of what we liked to piece it all together, to tell your own story. The format, the, the success format has just been created naturally and it's there for you to, to, to follow and be inspired by. Yeah, no need to reinvent the wheel for sure. How'd you guys uh, scale Unbound Marino after those first initial customers? So that was the, that was the, the scary part. We're like, okay, well, we have this successful crowdfunding campaign. Well, what do we do now, right? Like we didn't have our store up yet on Shopify. And we were very aware that like what we have here is not, it's not a business, it's a start. That's it, right? So what's a business? A business is when we have a website that acts as our store and people are coming to our website, we're getting them on there and they're buying stuff and that's consistent. That's a business. So I remember in December of 2016, we had our, our store up online, but we didn't launch it yet. Like we had a plan to do like a lot where now, like on unboundmerino.com and come check it out and whatever. But we were working on that. And I remember we we because my business partner is still, you know, I was, I, after the crowdfunding campaign, I walked away from my other company. I didn't sell this media. I just stepped out, gave it to my business partner and went full-time on this with no salary. And I was the only full-time person. My two business partners were doing other work. One worked with Biz Media and he was doing freelance stuff on the side. And the other one was a creative director at an ad agency down the street here. They had to go to their day jobs, right? Because they couldn't, you know, one had, one had two kids, has two kids and a, and a mortgage. You can't, you know, I, I could go a little more high risk. I didn't have any kids and stuff. I was like, I'll just, I had a little bit of savings, which evaporated like as fast as you could imagine. <laughs> and I was willing to do that. So we used to meet up at Starbucks at Oris local restaurant at seven in the morning. We do that twice a week at this point. And I would work throughout the day, but that's the time I had with them for two hours. And I remember we met at Starbucks to go upload some photos onto our website, which wasn't yet launched, and just sort of put the finishing touches on before we were going to get ready to launch this thing, which we were really trying to get out because it was December and we thought we could still get some Christmas sales. Right. I remember going into the back end of the website, the Shopify store, and there was at least a dozen sales that were just sitting there. <laughs> and we were like, What? We didn't even announce this thing yet. Like, why? where are these people coming from? And we realized there was a momentum from the crowdfunding campaign, a word of mouth momentum, and and uh, the returning customer momentum that we just didn't even think of. Like, it's kind of obvious. So yeah, because we had, we had, we had 2,000 customers that we got from crowdfunding, and we're already starting to ship the product. They loved the product. We had a great thing. So they were coming back and telling their friends. So I remember we were like, holy shit. And we rushed to our little storage locker where we had all of our inventory and we fulfilled these orders. We've got to fulfill these orders. And that was the start of it. And that is an amazing driving force, word of mouth. And we still get a ton of word of mouth because we focus so much on the product quality. So there's naturally going to be people that come back for more. They love the product. But then we started plugging you know into new avenues of, of acquiring new customers facebook ads so we didn't just like we didn't spread too thin we focused our energies on the like one thing at a time but i'm telling you it's the momentum all comes from product quality your word of mouth is the greatest way to grow a business and we're experiencing that so if there's anything i ever advise in a business it's like don't don't rely on marketing and acquiring new customers as much as rely on creating a product that gets someone to come back. It's a much better way to, to, to think of a business. And that's, you know, we, we, we only had t-shirts, underwear and socks at the time, but we had a million things that we could do to get people to come back, release new products, release new colors. You know, a t-shirt doesn't last forever. We have a good quality t-shirt that and it, because you don't need to wash it as much, um, it doesn't get beaten up and worn down as easily. So these t-shirts really, really, perform and last for the money in which you're spending, even though they're expensive. But people come back. They want more. They want more colors. They want more t-shirts. You know, a year passes, a couple years pass, they want fresh t-shirts. That's the name of the game for us is to to try to create a good enough product that people love. Our goal is to make the, in our opinion, the best black our black t-shirts are core product. It's, we have another colors, but the best black crew neck t-shirt on the 
on the planet is like our goal. That's our mm. core product. So uh, if you have the if we if we have the best T-shirt, then people are going to come back, right? Because you're not going to want to downgrade your T-shirt once you've once you've tried the best. Right. Right. Uh, so I know you guys aren't on Amazon, and one of our last guests, Eric Bandhalls of Beard Brand, he chose not to be on um, Amazon because he wanted to be in control of the quality of their product, just like you are with yours, and then make more money on one customer by having them add, you know, more items from their website into the cart. Yep. So and how- also Amazon is if you if you were to go and buy our T-shirt, if it were on Amazon, we would not know who you are. Amazon they don't share that. So. I would rather work harder to acquire a customer into our own email list and do off our own website because then, like I said, the remarketing value of them, the returning customer rate, you have control and, and, and influence over. Amazon to me is just, I have no interest in it for that reason. It's just like, because you're, you're forfeiting control over the most important thing that you're building, which is your customer list. If you're not building your customer list, you're not. What is your business? You're only your business. You're just chasing the deal, just like I was doing with Biz Media. This is something that I've seen on Amazon: is people will build up a brand, they'll make a boatload of money on Amazon. I've seen it, but the second Amazon like changes their algorithm and it pushes you off like it's one of the top results off the first page, it's like your sales could go could drop ninety percent in a day. It's a crazy thing that they have the power to do. And they are also known to identify what... Pro- so let's just say I were to come up, uh, just grabbing things nearby, little tea candles, right? And I had the best tea candles. And all of a sudden, I'm selling an insane amount of these things. Amazon knows. And Amazon also knows how to manufacture stuff. So Amazon Basics could be around the corner. And once Amazon Basics comes out, they're making tea candles. They're prioritizing theirs over yours. So that just like, that will just eat into your sales and they have all that control. So for me, it's like they're, Amazon's like a carrot that dangles in front of your eyes. It's like, do I want to go on Amazon because I can make a lot of money now? It sounds okay to make money, but it's short-term thinking. It's not really building a business. It's just making some money now. And I've seen, I've seen it many times. People make a ton of money and then all of a sudden they're making nothing. How do you compete with the expectations that Amazon puts on other e-commerce brands? Like in terms of like how f- ridiculously fast their shipping is, how convenient. Yeah. Do you know what you do? You just deal with it. <laughs> Amazon has set the stand. And you know what? As much as I like, there's things on Amazon that I can complain about. I can complain about almost everything on Amazon. But... I have an Amazon Prime package coming. It's like, I can't, I open my condo door. I'm like, I hope it's there. It's the stuff I need. It's so convenient at times. But listen, we sell what's kind of like a luxury product. It's an expensive mm-hmm. product. And I don't think people, there are some things that, there are some things that people will just want on Amazon, period. Like if you're, if you're going to buy a bunch of household items, a book that's always been for books, but let's just say like, I, there's a, a, deodor- a specific deodorant brand that I like, I buy it on Amazon because I don't want to buy it on the actual website because the shipping is just takes forever off the actual website. Amazon, I know their stocking is coming the next day. So it's more convenient for me. Right. But if I'm going to go buy something really premium and luxury, like a splurge thing, like, you know, I'm up in Canada, it gets freezing here. If I were to want to splurge on, let's say, a really expensive winter jacket, I'm not going to go to Amazon for that. I want to go to the store or I want to go onto an e-commerce store of a really good brand I've identified and buy it direct. If I'm going to buy, like, can you, let's just, I'm not into watches at all, right? Like, this is my one watch I'll always have. It costs me like 90 bucks and I think it's the best watch. Like, because it looks nice, tells the time, simple. Some people are really into watches and they'll, I think it's crazy, but you know, they'll spend thousand, two thousand, five thousand, whatever. You know, people like watches. I can't imagine someone spending three thousand dollars on a watch on Amazon. There are, they do exist, but if you're gonna go buy like a Rolex or something, do you want to buy that on Amazon? Like, there's some <laughs> things that just don't fit. Right. And we're playing in that game a little bit because we're a little bit of a luxury product. Our T-shirts are sixty-eight dollars. 
I think people are not apt to wanting to purchase those kind of things on Amazon. So that that works for us. Yeah. You guys, as you mentioned earlier, like planning on trying to be a leader in your industry. What's your guys' plans for that? This is the way I see it. It's like we have a really, really clear, not clear. We have identified the way that we want to grow and we try to grow. You know, we don't want to grow because we want to get rich. You know, we're not very money motivated. We want to grow because it's fun. The more we purchase from our suppliers, the more influence we have with them, the more that they're willing to work with us to, you know, when we have, when we're on the 10th version of a prototype and we're still not satisfied, they know that we're going to make that purchase. It's going to be worth it. As we grow, we're noticing our influence in our, in our supply chain is changing. And that's exciting for us because we could start to change the expectations of our suppliers and, and do push, push the, the product development forward in ways that we couldn't do when we first started. That could be something that's an innovation in the fabric, really push to innovate how they, you know, the weave of the fabric is made so that it performs in a different way. We can make more demands of tighter certifications because we're very, very serious about the ethical treatment of the employees that any factory work in, but also humane treatment of animals. We're working with sheep. So everything has to be mulesing free, which is not, you know, a mulesing is they cut the under the tail, which is, some people say it's, it is humane, but there it's very controversial. And we just don't think it's necessary to have to cut the animal. Like why I look at wool, it's like a haircut. It's like completely harmless to the animal. It's like if I were in standing in the 40 degree sweltering heat in Australia, I would want someone to come with a buzzer, <laughs> shave my wool off. No, no doubt. I'm a huge animal guy. You know, I love, and if there were any inhumane treatment of animals, there's 0% chance that I'm working with that, with that wool supplier. But we have a growing influence on the industry at large and the awareness at large. So growth for us is about influence and influence is about having the power for change for good. And the power of change for innovation and being interesting. So we have a roadmap of the products we want to release, our, our strategies that we have, and, and it's all just for like, you know, it's partially just for fun. Like life's just like a big video game, right? right. Might as well get, you play it well. Yeah. With COVID recently hitting and like hitting the travel industry pretty big, how have you guys kind of pivoted or moved your messaging around during this time? That's a good question because, you know, we really positioned ourselves as a travel brand. And that messaging worked like super well for us up until there was a global travel ban. <laughs> and yeah. when there's a global travel ban, your travel messaging sucks. <laughs> so we, when COVID hit back in March, like we were growing rapidly. And for the first time ever, our sales went down. Like we were like used to 100% growth and now we're like down 50%. Like it was, un, it was a crazy change of momentum. And it scared us. We just immediately went to the into like war war room mentality. Like, what are we gonna do? First thing we have to do is change the messaging, like pivot, like everything on their ads, our website, and you know we still mention travel, but it's not our focus, which is nice. It broadens out our appeal a little bit. And then we were thinking about, and then people were really not interested in buying expensive luxury products because you know people were losing their jobs. It was like the whole world was changing, and a lot of e-commerce brands completely blew up. But ours was not one that like blew up. We actually took a hit. But as things started to normalize a little bit, people started spending money again. We've adapted what our messaging was, and we started implementing, you know, a lot of marketing strategies that we weren't before because we just. To be perfectly blunt, we were probably a little lazy because of, <laughs> we were growing so rapidly that we didn't need to do all of everything under the sun to get more money, right? So we started doing things like marketing automation flows. So if you bought off us in the past, since the beginning, but you've never bought underwear, or if you bought off us and you've never bought underwear after the one month mark, it would trigger an email that would talk about our underwear, which is fantastic. And we'd set that up and it almost feels like a, like a trap like a bear trap. Like it's like you put it out there and it starts to work on its own, right? So mm. 
we started noticing how this underwear email is really starting to generate money. We're not doing anything. So we were starting to, you know, create more of those marketing automation flows and a bunch of other things. And what we've noticed is that fear that we had, that war mentality forced us to do things we could have been doing all along anyway. Mm. And it was a reminder, something that I think would be very obvious to my younger self, but I think I, I forgot along the way. It's never let yourself get comfortable, even if you if it's okay to be comfortable. Like I would be fine. I didn't need, I don't need to do this because the business is going in a good direction. I love what I'm doing. I can work at a slow pace. I used to be in a, insane in my twenties. I used to work like an animal. I'm working a little less. Things are a little more comfortable. Life's a little more. Good. And that laziness makes you miss opportunities. And ultimately, I mean, that's fine if you just want to like live that way. But if you really want to achieve what your own version of greatness is, you have to treat comfort as sort of the enemy. Like never be satisfied. And that's okay. That's a good thing because that's mitigating all of the, the, the downfall that comes from laziness because comfort just breeds laziness and laziness just stops you from achieving your personal greatness. Like, mm -hmm. There are people like, you know, look at like pro athletes, like the top guys. It's like, do you need to win another championship? Do you know, don't you want to go and have a few beers and a cheeseburger with your buddies? It's like, they're, they're after it. They, you know, you, this, is, this is the time in my life where I can work the hardest. COVID reacquainted me with the pitfalls of laziness because so many things we're doing now where it was just corrections from previous laziness and it feels good. It feels mm -hmm. good to feel like we're firing all cylinders again. And we brought our revenues way back up again. So everything's working out well now. And I think COVID has made us better, stronger, happier, and with a better direction. Taking that uh, chaos and really grabbing it by the horns and making it something useful. How have you used chaos in the past as an entrepreneur? Oh man, chaos is a best motivator. You know, I've had times in biz media and I've had times, you know, when I was trying to start up a Mount Marino where it's like, this is all so tiring and chaotic, but it's what gets your mind going. You know, it's like the hard times is what breeds some of the best thinking. I think it's like, if when things are going well, it's again, it's easy to just fall into the trap of laziness. You have to sort of like, remember what, what what motivated me to work that hard and I had no energy, no money, no time. All I had was belief to start Unbound. When my business coach told me, "Don't you're not the guy to do this. You're not going to be able to do it. Like If he's not believing, this is a guy who's like there to help you see the path. But he's telling me I can't do it. That felt like chaos to me. I'm like, what am I, I'm going to do this anyway. You know, it's in those times when you, you really roll up your sleeves and do your best work, become the best you, I guess. You had a Reddit post a while back that was talking about everything you've learned as an entrepreneur. And a lot of those lessons revolved around the people that you surround yourself with. And for you, those have been your best friends. So how have you like successfully started and run business with your friends? There could be a lot of luck in that in the fact that my best friends are, are dope. You know, <laughs> they're like ambitious and smart and hardworking and creative, you know, and they all have their own strong suits. Like Dima, my business partner, is just brilliant with vision, his, th his thoughts. Like he named our company and like he has a way of formulating words. That's his, that's his, that's his specialty, you know. But he's not someone who will grind like my other business partner, Andrew. Andrew, if he wakes up, if he had no distractions, so he didn't have any other places to be, he could work and tell him that he's passing out at night, accomplishing anything. And so it's important to be around people like that that have incredible skills and drive because that rubs off on you. I'm lucky that my best friends are like that. A lot of people say business and friendship don't mix. That is like the antithesis of how I've ever lived. I think it does mix for the very reason that you could be more candid with your best friends than you could be anyone. I'll tell you a, a quick story. I remember my old business when we started it out. I first moved downtown, and I was my my business. Well, no, he wasn't my business partner at the time. I he was my roommate at the time, and I remember I said, "Hey, Andrew, do you want to go take our laptops and go grab a beer, and we can get some work done at the at the Firkin Pub?" and 
to get some work done there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just finishing this email. And then we'll go. I'm like, perfect. So he's tapping away at his laptop and he's just has this like, you know, focused, angry look on his face and he's writing and writing, writing. And then like, I will give him 10 minutes. He's still just writing. And then like, dude, you ready to go? He's like, oh, almost done. Almost done. And like, you look pissed off. He's like, I am. I'm writing. I, I, I'm just, I'm sharing some important thoughts. I'm like, with who, who are you writing this angry email to? He's like, oh, it's to you. <laughs> and I laughed because I just like, I'm going for a beer with him. There's no sweat off his back, but he candidly wants to tell me how much I messed something up, you know? And now I need to know. And we could be like, and, and, and we could, he could literally like, it was a huge viscerally, visually angry writing this email and I was waiting for him to finish it so I'd go for a beer with him and the email was to me and that encapsulates everything that there is to know about business and friendship mixing well because if you actually are like best buds and good friends it's like you could tell it like it is without offense share your perspective not be offended by it because at the end of the day we really want what's best for each other I never need to be the show you know, if he, if I win, they win, and I want them to win. And I want I, I want them to do well. I want them to grow. And if one of them is lagging, I could say that you're lagging. Like I could say that to them, and they they know that I'm just trying to like get the best out of them because it's the best for them. It's best for us. It's best for everyone. That's the best part of business and friendship. And fortunately, we ha- I, I happen to be best friends with people that just want to do well. They want the most out of life. They want to squeeze everything they can in their life and they have the drive ambition and brains to do it so you know that's always been something that's very important to me is that this is my favorite quote to live by which is basically a cliche but you're the average of the five people closest to you it's so obviously true it's like if you're around people that don't really care to like do it take anything out of life then that becomes okay if you don't like you don't want to be the weirdo who's like working hard trying hard you surround yourself with people that are achievers and believe in themselves you start to adopt that as what you think is the norm so i'm very careful in particular about who i like in my immediate circle it's important and to be mindful of that throughout this interview and just in that story there's this idea of you having fun with what you're doing in life you know obviously starting a business with your buddies is a lot more fun than maybe somebody that you don't know and you kind of shared the perspective about business being just like a, a game. So can you kind of share that mentality with us? You can go through life and you can just make enough money to get by, maybe stow away a little bit of money and maybe buy a house and and take a, like a two weeks of vacation a year. and Or you can just like think about how you want to live life to the fullest. Like it's like you have a choice of how you want to attempt to live your life. I just feel like some people just choose to live it differently. They choose to put the pedal down on the throttle a little bit harder. I don't relate to people who don't want to do that. And and to be honest, I consciously don't want to relate to that. Hmm. I don't want to live. And and that that means sometimes I don't live safely. You know, I mean, I'm not dangerous. Like I'm not a daredevil, but like there's been times when it's like, shit, like I've run into walls that like might, Oh, might kill someone else from a heart attack if they went through it, you know, like big business mistakes. But I'm willing to deal with it and realize that it's all, we're all just cosmic dust anyway. None of it matters. Just why not, while your eyes are open to the world, to just live it like in the biggest way that you can and try to figure that out. So that's just, that's fun. That's the game of it to me. I remember when we started the Biz Media, I told her the story of how fast it grew. I felt like I was like, a, you know, I'm the same age as Mark Zuckerberg. You know, we're born <laughs> the same year. And that, and, and when he was starting up, I was starting up. And I was sort of looked at him and said, wow, look at what Facebook, and this is when Facebook's not near where it is now, but still, it was an enormous thing. It was becoming popular and famous. I looked at him as like a peer. Now, I don't think I'm peers with Mark Zuckerberg anymore. But at that time, even though he was like starting one of the world's most important companies, I just like, he had that like spunky young attitude and I had it too. We made a choice to go really hard and I felt like we were on top of the world. And I remember my friends were, you know, just in their second, third year university time and 
you know, they're accumulating all the student debt and I'm building this company and I felt like I figured something out that the, the world around me hasn't figured out, but something like Zuckerberg did. It's like, you could do things at this age on your own, all this stuff. And I felt really great about it. And then we hit these business challenges which were so catastrophic that I remember my friends are now out of school getting careers and buying houses. And I'm like cutting my own salary down. And then like, I felt like I work harder than any of these people. Why am I suffering now, right? Like why, and, and you compare yourself to people and you feel bad. But I realized, I'm like, I don't care. I'm on my own path. I'm gonna continue to excel, I'm gonna continue to work hard, and I'm gonna continue to gain insight, and I'm gonna not let these challenges destroy me. And I'm so grateful you just hang in, the, you know, you stay in the ring because you go through ups and downs. And the entrepreneurial roller coaster is really crazy. And it's not for everyone. It's not always good. It's when it's good, it's way better than anything else. You know, some people say like, oh, it's not for everyone. It's like, well, if it it can be for anybody, it really can be. You just have to have a lot of resilience, go through the really hard times. And if you realize those hard times are meaningless, you come out the other end just stronger, smarter. Like you can't learn a lesson the better way than to just dive in feet first, head first, whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm just always just trying to keep life full throttle. I have I have big ambitions and it's not money motivated. I don't need a boat or a fancy car. I do it just because it's like, why not live life in a... I don't need to live it with the coloring in between the lines. I'd rather draw the lines and say, these are this is the coloring book I want. Before I get to my last question, uh, where can everybody find you in Unbound Marina? If you want to find me, it's Dan Dembski, D-A-N-D-E-M-S-K-Y and Unbound Marino, U-N-B-O-U-N-D-M-E-R-I-N-O.com or on any of the social things. And that's where you'll find us. Well, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Oh, man. Instead of devolve, which it is. Do you ever watch the movie <laughs> Idiocracy? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one that shows where the world might be heading. It's not getting any smarter. Honestly, let's just see what Elon Musk announces in August. That's going to force the world to evolve pretty fast. Do you want the biggest crutches in the world is politics? Mm. Politics just distracts from everything meaningful. And they're important in the sense of like, you know, holding governments accountable. But I feel like this whole left versus right thing is feels a whole lot like Yankees versus Red Sox to me. It's just like, whatever. At the end of the day, it's just a game. Like, you guys are all just picking a side for the... It's not even about like what's right anymore. It's about the other team losing more than it is about like ideas winning. So focus on ideas, read a lot. Don't consume too much media. Hang around good people and focus on yourself. Dan, I think that's some solid advice and I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing everything that you had. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening and joining the evolution revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving.